Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 21, Mothers for Medicare for All, Part 1. In this episode, my guest, Kristen Grimm, founder of Mothers for Medicare for All, describes the struggle she and her family endured as they fought to get medical care for her son, who suffers from a rare medical condition and has had 24 surgeries in his lifetime. Ms. Grimm describes how her experiences led her to support Medicare for All. And now, Mothers for Medicare for All, Part 1. Kristen Grimm, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thanks, Joe, for having me on your show today. Thank you. So I'd like to start by having you just tell what caused you to become an activist for Medicare for All. Yeah, I'd love to give you a little bit of my personal story. Um, it goes back to being an advocate for my son. And one of our sons was born with a rare vascular condition, and it was diagnosed at the age of three. And um, But it really began when... Um, just an ordinary day. I was a young mom. Um, our son is our third baby. And I was tickling him on the changing table one day, and I found a tumor on his tongue. And what happened um, in that moment that I wasn't really aware of is that in that moment, the, the lives of our family were going to be very different in going forward. And uh, so... A part of my son's condition um, requires a lot of surgery, and um, he had his first surgery when he was three years old, but in total, our son has had um, 24 surgeries in his lifetime. And so I have walked the halls of children's hospitals in profound ways and spent a lot of, a lot of years advocating for my son's health care, advocating for the right kind of care. Um, at the age of three, it was determined at the Children's Hospital, where I live in outside of Nashville, um, the actual Children's Hospital in Nashville, referred us to the Arkansas Children's Hospital in Little Rock. And um, there was no um, specialty care that could treat my son's condition in my own town. And um, so when our son turned around, about 11 years old, things started to escalate with his health. So our son has had 24 surgeries in his lifetime, and the majority of his surgeries have been in another state. And um, so he's actually had surgery in um, Arkansas and in New York City. And so throughout all this process, um, we had employer-based insurance most of the time. But during the Great Recession, um, my husband was self-employed, and the economy was really booming. Um, right before the Great Recession, and then it hit our family really hard, and my husband lost about 80% of his income overnight, almost overnight, and cost of health care, it seemed like the sicker our son became, the more expensive our health care was, and this was before the Affordable Care Act, so there was no protection 
Um, for anyone in our family with pre-existing conditions, my husband and I have pre-existing conditions. So we are paying about $2,200 for our health, our health insurance because we are self-employed. And we ended up paying more for health insurance than we are paying for our mortgage. So during the Great Recession, you have to make decisions between um, giving up your health insurance and giving up your house. And we all know which uh, choice any of us would choose. You have to let your health insurance go. And at the same time, our son was having a lot of respiratory distress and he was very sick. He was in and out of the hospital a lot and we racked up tens of thousands of dollars um, at our emergency room as we were uninsured. And um, we were quickly going through all of our savings uh, just to pay our bills. And um, we really quickly became um, a very vulnerable family and we were very average American family. And um, I became one of those moms who never thought in a million years that we would become food insecure and um, kind of have our own personal health care desert. There was a very uh, hard day as a mother, one of the hardest days I've ever had um, in regards to providing for my child. We um, went to the doctors, which was almost a weekly event, and if not, sometimes going to the pediatrician multiple times um, for our son's condition. And I remember them writing us a prescription that was hopefully going to keep our son out of the emergency room that night. You know, the pediatrician wrote us several prescriptions. I went through the drive through pharmacy, had all of my credit cards declined, had my debit card declined, and the bill was just a little under $400 because at this time I'm uninsured, I'm paying everything out of pocket, and I didn't have money to buy medication for my son to breathe. It was one of the most helpless feelings I've ever felt. I called my husband and I said, do we have any more credit cards anywhere? He said no, and we started freaking out, and we ended up having to call my in-law to um, have them wire us money to pay for our son's medication. If we did not have the privilege of having my in-laws to be able to wire us money for that medication, we would have been um, just in the emergency room again uh, for our care. So my advocacy really started from my own personal journey, my own personal story, right? And um, uh, being in that place of vulnerability, ironically, we found out about something called Cover Kids in the state of Tennessee, which is our Medicaid program in the state of Tennessee that is through the CHIP program, which is our children's health insurance program. And during the recession, the CHIP program actually kept our family out of medical bankruptcy. And um, But there were limitations with my son being on Medicaid. And um, one of the limitations was, since we had lost our health insurance, the mother's intuition in me kept saying, we need to get back to Little Rock. I need to get my son across the state lines for care because the, the, I just knew uh, that our hospital wasn't able to really handle some of these things. But the thing is, if you don't have health insurance, you can't go across the state lines for care. But also, when you're on Medicaid, it's almost impossible to get across the state lines for care. And so here I thought we had, which we had on our Medicaid card, a Blue Cross Blue Shield um, little insignia on our Medicaid card. 
then I thought we just had actual insurance that was somehow subsidized by the state. I was very naive about what Medicaid was. I didn't even know what it was. But all I knew is that it was keeping out of, us out of bankruptcy, but it wasn't really addressing the overall comprehensive needs of my son's health care. So we got out of the recession. We ended up, um, my husband got a job um, with a company, and we got onto employer-based insurance just in the nick of time. And when our son turned 11, all of his health issues really, really escalated. And um, pushing forward, um, I got involved in a school board race and uh, started getting involved in politics to protect special education in our school district. We had um, an infiltration of um, the Tea Party movement in our um, school district, and they had come in and put a lot of money in the previous school board election, and they were um, not going to be good for public education in my county. So I got involved because my son at this time needed a lot of services through special education. He was on homebound services because he was very, very sick, right? He was having surgery sometimes every six weeks. So in the process of getting involved in a school board race, I heard about legislative issues um, in regards to health care because you start getting involved in legislation and figuring out how public education is funded. And uh, the bottom line is I kept hearing something about something called Medicaid expansion in my state. And I live in Tennessee. I live in Franklin, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville, which is our, you know, our capital. And so after the school board race, I just thought, I'm going to get involved and I'm going to figure out what Medicaid expansion is and why the Republican Party in my state, which is the supermajority at this time, was basically waging a war against their own Republican governor and impeding his ability to expand Medicaid. So I started reaching out to healthcare advocacy organizations, and I just did a deep dive. And I wanted to know about how healthcare was funded in our state, and the thought of other people going without health insurance bothered me greatly. And at that time, we had 300,000 people who were uninsured, and they were eligible, um, more than likely eligible for healthcare through the Affordable Care Act, which led me into deep diving into what is the Affordable Care Act really doing. And so I um, got very interested in healthcare because of our own personal story of going through our own experiences as the uninsured. And so I just reached out to some very reputable and um, wonderful organizations. One organization is called Tennessee Justice Center. And you know what happens when you walk into a nonprofit, you walk out a volunteer. And so I became a healthcare volunteer throughout the state of Tennessee. My son was going through surgeries, but I just, sometimes when you go through difficult things in your life, you want to use the difficult things that you're going through uh, for the good of, of others, right? So I got in my car, I started traveling the state with a very good friend of mine who is a healthcare advocate in Tennessee. We got on the road. We advocated for rural hospital closures. Our state is, leads the nation in rural hospital closures per capita in Tennessee. And we, I started calling and making uh, calls throughout the, the state. And where I really uh, learned how to be an advocate was through calling the 
individuals in Tennessee who are uninsured and listening to their story. And um, through the process, I really became an advocate for Medicaid. I figured out that we do not have children's hospitals without Medicaid. And based on the revenues, um, the intake revenues of children's hospitals, the majority of the revenues that children's hospitals receive across the nation are paid for by Medicaid. Half of our births in this nation are covered by Medicaid. In my own state, less than half of employers offer employer-based insurance. And we have um, the, the vast majority of um, recipients of Medicaid are you know, children in the United States. But also the, the profound thing about um, Medicaid is that Medicaid is the single number one insurer of children in the United States. And so I started getting it into the advocacy world really because of Medicaid and wanting to expand it, um, protect it, and improve it. In the process of all of this, I'm starting to put two and two together and realizing that there are a lot of barriers to coverage at every level of health insurance and every level of healthcare coverage. But I think for me, there was a turning point. For me personally, the turning point in my advocacy where I went from being an advocate for Medicaid and Medicaid expansion, which I still am an advocate for because I believe we still have to protect, improve, and expand Medicaid um, until we have Medicare for all. But the turning point for me in becoming an advocate for Medicaid and becoming an all-in supporter of Medicare for all happened when my son's surgeon knew that I was doing healthcare advocacy in the state of Tennessee. And during one of his surgeries, after he checked on my son for the final time in the pack year, he said, I want you to call my assistant and reach out to her. And if you will come back, I, I need to talk to you. I've got an issue. And I said, sure, sure. I'd love to come back, talk to you. We had been talking about um, healthcare advocacy and protecting Medicaid during the um, proposed Medicaid cuts by the uh, Trump administration in 2017. And um, so I got in my car, drove back to Little Rock um, about a month and a half later, sat down with my son's surgeon. And I thought he was going to need money for research or Help. He wanted me to help him raise money, and that wasn't it at all. He looked at me and he said, Kristen, the biggest problem I have in my practice um, for vascular anomalies and the rare conditions that I treat is that we cannot get kids across the state line for care with these rare conditions. And we can't, we, we fight with state Medicaid offices all the time. Kids are constantly having their surgeries and procedures canceled, sometimes the week before surgery. And he said, I have a beautiful research lab. It is fully funded. And we are impeding medical discovery for kids all over the, the nation and really all over the world. Because he said, if I can't get kids across the state lines for care, I can't treat them, first of all, and, and help them with their suffering. And secondly, I don't have their data. I don't have uh, the, the, um, the, the research data that I need. I can't get their cells. I can't get samples of tissue. Um, I can't get their blood work. And we are impeding medical discovery. And he looked right at me and he said, 
I want to find a cure for these kids. And so in that instant, I started putting two and two together. And I'm like, you know what? We have got to have comprehensive health care in this country. And it was like this light bulb that went on in my head. And I thought, wow, because we do not have a comprehensive single-payer national health insurance program for everyone in the United States, it's not only impeding medical discoveries for people like my son, for individuals like my son, we are impeding medical discovery at every level of medicine. And so in that moment, I started, you know, really taking note of where, um, although that Medicaid has been an incredible mercy and an incredible program that has allowed a lot of kids to get health care, it falls short for a lot of very vulnerable kids. It also helps a lot of vulnerable kids, but it has weaknesses, right? I have come to the conclusion that this nation needs a comprehensive national health insurance program for everyone residing in the United States without barriers. And that's the biggest thing. And so there are so many barriers, right? You know, we have uh, cost. We have issues that are, are dealing with cost. Uh, the cost of health care is a barrier. We have 30 min- million people who are uninsured. And we are, um, we are spending so much money on our health care program in the United States, and we are not getting the health outcomes that we should be getting if you would logically think about how much money we are paying for our health care system. So I became an advocate for Medicaid, then I, then I transitioned to Medicare for All because we need a solution. And I really look at the way we have done healthcare legislation and written healthcare policy over the decades. And when you look at it, we've kind of piecemealed our healthcare policy together. We've done a little bit here, a little bit there, and we've done the best we can, right? And a lot of times we'll do a, a measure like the Affordable Care Act. And we all say at the end of it, we're so grateful for it. I'm incredibly grateful for the Affordable Care Act. It was a major game changer for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, when we passed the Affordable Care Act, everyone said it should have been more. We wish it could have been more, but this was the best we could do. And I know, and I can prove it mathematically, it doesn't take a lot of, a lot, it doesn't take a lot of um, time to prove it, that our existing health care, um, the, the, the existing way we cover health care in this nation is not sustainable, even with the Affordable Care Act. And we need comprehensive, single-payer, um, a national health insurance program that covers everyone without barriers. And I believe that Medicare for All is the best path forward. And uh, so that's kind of how it's a very long answer to your question. But um, I believe that for many sound reasons that not only can, um, not only can this be done, but it will be done. And we, we need advocates to tell their stories. And so that's why I'm stepping up to share my story and uh, to, t- to tell the narrative of real people who go through very hard things and try to make a difference for everyone. So there's so much there. But before we go on, I want to say that I definitely agree with what you said about Medicare for All. 
I would like to know, and you alluded to this, did you have trouble going out of state to get medical care? Because generally, Medicaid is done on a state-by-state basis. Right. Well, we were just told by the state Medicaid program that co- that manages our Cover Kids program that we couldn't go across the state line for care. So we didn't have trouble with it. We were just told, no, it's not an option. And really, I think we could have pressed it because there is a provision in the federal law that says if you cannot get the state that you cannot get the care that you need, that the federal law says that you can go across the state lines. But what happens is it's very cumbersome for these state Medicaid programs or the managed care organizations that are overseeing Medicaid and these state programs. They start getting in arguments about portions of payment between children's hospitals and the state-made Medicaid agencies. So it's kind of a headache. So they are always going to tell you, no, you can't go across the state lines for care. And if you do get across the state lines for care on Medicaid, you have a child that is that is so gravely ill, they're almost on their deathbed because the state agencies and the children's hospitals, they argue about portions of payment. And I mentioned my son's surgeon talking to me about what can we do to get these kids who are on Medicaid? Because right, if half of our kids are born on Medicaid, most of them stay on Medicaid. So it's a significant portion of our population that if you have really sick kids, it's very hard to get them across the state line for care. And so it was, we were just pulled flat out no. And so I didn't know enough at that time to fight for it. And I just thought that's kind of strange. Why can't I get across the state line for care on Medicaid? On a program through Blue Cross Blue Shield, I didn't understand it. And the reason why is because my son was on Medicaid and I didn't know it. Okay, but you managed to fight and you were able to get your child to the specialist in Arkansas. Yeah, so um, he's had the majority of his surgeries have been across state lines. And um, even on employee-based insurance, every time we get him across the state line, pretty much I would say almost, you know, the majority of um, times that we try to get him across the state lines, we still have to fight even on employer-based insurance. Um, And he has been on, so our family has been insured three ways, employer-based insurance. We have been on the exchange, the marketplace exchange through the Affordable Care Act plans. And my kids have been on the CHIP program through Medicaid. So those are the three ways our family has been insured. And when my son has been on employer-based insurance, we have had to fight to get him across the state lines. And we just have to prove every single time he goes over there that what he needs is medically necessary. And it takes the time of the nurses in two states. Sometimes I have up to four to five nurses fighting to get him to across the state line. This last time he had surgery, his 24th surgery, we had to fight to get him across the state line for almost an identical surgery that he had had six months prior. And we had two nurses over here fighting for it. We had we had a nurse in um, Little Rock fighting to get him across the state line with the same insurance to prove that he actually, it was medically necessary. And this is the part about any kind of insurance within Medicaid or within employer-based insurance. We are not giving doctors the autonomy to have the final say of what is medically necessary. 
we're basically getting permission from a health insurance agency to basically give the doctor permission to say, yes, okay, we agree with you, this is medically necessary. And that has to change. That has to change overall comprehensively. And this is how we're impeding medical discovery. And this is also how kids are suffering, adults are suffering um, without access to comprehensive care. And we have got to have a healthcare system where we're not impeding medical discovery and where we are absolutely letting doctors determine best practice and not an insurance company or an in- or for-profit health insurance program. It's imperative that we give the power back to the doctors and we let them do their jobs. And when you look at health insurance um, coverage programs in the United States, Medicare, the existing Medicare program that we have has the least amount of barriers to coverage and access to coverage. And it's comprehensive. And when people get on Medicare, they breathe a great sigh of relief, right? Yes. And there's a relief because there are the least amount of barriers to coverage at the age of 65. And that has to change in the United States because somebody at the age of 65, their healthcare, if we believe that healthcare is a human right, I don't believe that healthcare is a human right just begins when you're 65. I believe it actually begins before you're born, when you're in utero. And the moment you're born, you should be given a healthcare card. And I hope to see the day where every child born in this country is given a Medicare card and they have it until their first breath to their last breath. Kristen? Thank you for sharing your personal experience with us. This ends part one of Mothers for Medicare for All. In part two, to be released on October 15th, the conversation continues with Ms. Grimm as she explains her decision to start Mothers for Medicare for All and her plans for the organization. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.